0: So, for those of you who don't know me, I am Brittany Brown. I'm Pastor Don's daughter, and that's my husband right there, Michael. Uh, and we are serving as volunteer pastors at the Cedar Home Church in Stanwood, um, which is like about a half an hour south of Mount Vernon, as most of you probably already knew. Um, and I have the job tonight of kind of setting the stage for our weekend. So. Um, I will do my best to move through the material. I I have a lot of material, but I'm going to just try to talk fast. Um, But we're going to be talking about some really good concepts this weekend, but potentially concepts that could also be taken as overwhelming or maybe even, um, I don't know, works-based, like, oh, we must perform better as Christians. And so in order to try and circumvent any of you having any of those uncomfortable emotions, Um, We're going to take some time tonight To kind of set this stage Of uh, The backstory, if you will The backstory and maybe the higher reality That's happening here um, Behind the scenes and our part in that So it's going to be Hopefully really good I've been really blessed As I've been putting together the material Um, I drew really heavily from these two books Which are in in your packet On the recommended reading list They both appear there Uh, One is Closer Than Angels by Ty Gibson, which is fantastic. And it's only about uh, like 30 pages, so you could read this in like an hour and a half. Um, And then this one, He Loves Me, is by Wayne Jacobson, who is a co-author of The Shack, and it is one of the most, if not the most, influential book that I have read on God's love. Um, Impactful. He's not Seventh-day Adventist, so there are some, a little bit of belief discrepancies, but you can get by by that Uh, it's highly highly recommended all right I think those are all the setup things I wanted to talk about no we're not going there yet so in setting the stage where do we begin most of us uh, if you went to Sabbath school or Sunday school as a kid you learned that the right answer is always Jesus right you say Jesus you get points so why don't we begin with Jesus But, that begs the next question, where? Right? Does his story have a beginning? There are many places we could begin when we're talking about Jesus. Do we begin at the manger? Or do we jump right into the thick of it? Maybe that's what we'll do tonight. The thick of it with miracles and restored outcasts and a young preacher who was totally against the culture of the day, right? We need to step into that story and recognize that when Jesus came, he was radical, Right? He was radical in the culture that he was talking to. And we look at his story from our lens today, and familiarity can breed contempt, and we don't quite get all the things um, as the uh, the Hebrew culture would have gotten them. But his audience was the privileged nation, right? They were the chosen people. Uh, they were the ones that had the truth. Uh, they were experts at right behavior. And they preached a version of the prosperity gospel, right? In that the Jewish nation was going to rise to power and the Messiah was going to come and it was all going to be great. And they had a healthy dose of pride in their peculiarity as a people. Does that sound familiar? A peculiar people? And yet, this new teacher, clad in plain, simple clothing that was covered in the dust of travel, spoke words that made their hearts burn for more than their business as usual which is one of the topics for this weekend. And as they listened to his words, they found themselves longing that maybe they could experience more, right? That they could dare to ask for more than what they had come to believe was the sum of religion and life. One morning in particular, uh, on the side of a mountain, fresh with the spring of green, this, no, spring of green, green of spring, uh, this teacher presented to them principles of the heavenly kingdom and redirected their hearts from the earthly prosperity that they wanted, right? The comforts that they were seeking. He closed this day of teaching with a story of two builders, one that we're all familiar with, right? One who built on a solid foundation uh, and one whose efforts were swept away by the storms because he was more meticulous with the structure that he was building than what he was building on. What did the teacher mean by this? We could jump right to the answer, and I'm sure a lot of us have some answers in our minds, but perhaps we'll uncover something deeper if we first rewind and start at a different beginning. Should I move over here? I don't want to squeak. Oh, let me back a little bit. Okay, thank you. So we're going to rewind and start at a different beginning. In the beginning there was God... Or, shall we say, in the beginning, there was love. Love, giving and receiving, dancing in the beauty of intimacy and unity. But it needed to grow. Love needed to grow. It needed to expand and replicate and create more objects to lavish itself upon. And so a sun came into being. The sun of the morning, in fact. The, the morning of, the, of God, sorry, love's, love's creative journey he was given the name Lucifer and he was perfect perfect and precious following Lucifer came the morning stars the creatures destined to be the messengers of love the angels and love saw that it was good But, as is the nature of love, more expansion was inevitable, and so the family of love continued to grow as each of the successive sons and daughters came into being, the heavenly worlds came into existence. And finally, love's creative journey reached its crescendo as love set out to create the crowning act of expansion, a new race that was destined to enter into deeper intimacy with love than any order beings created before it a species divinely designed to replicate freely chosen selflessness and I'm just gonna pause right here and say that as I was praying tonight and kind of trying to get my mind around uh, my message I was confronted with my lack of belief the stuff that we're gonna be talking tonight talking about tonight is it's just insane like the fact that God would do everything that we're going to talk about him doing we want to doubt that it's true our hearts can't really grasp it and believe it because if we believed it we would live so much differently and I was challenged I was like Lord I'm supposed to I'm just going to be kind of talking about these words on a page and I don't believe them help my heart so you know what actually I did not pray as I get started so let's pause let's have a prayer um, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us in this journey Father, this is your story. These are your truths. Um, I do not have the words or the knowledge or even the faith to do this justice, but I need the faith of Jesus, Lord, and I need the Holy Spirit to come and be our teacher tonight uh, to really bring out the words and the thoughts and bring it home to the hearts, Lord, Um, Help us as we all walk through these truths together to really be able to tune in and hear that what you are saying. Amen. Amen. All right. so a species divinely designed to replicate freely chosen, which is key here, freely chosen selflessness. So we get a glimpse of this climax of creation in Bible verses such as Job 38, 4-7, where God is talking to Job and He says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or Genesis 126, where love says to himself, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Um, Ty Gibson, actually, in the book Closer to Angels, borrows from Ellen White and uses this quote, which is really awesome. It says, when God created man in his own image... He placed the crown atop His creation. All heaven took a deep and joyful interest in the creation of the world and man. Human beings were a new and distinct order. Man was the crowning act of the creation of God, made in the image of God, and designed to be a counterpart of God. Man was very dear to God because he was formed in his own image. We are still very dear to God, by the way. So we were divinely designed and birthed into love's creative universe as the replica of the image of love. Destined for unprecedented intimacy with God. What higher purpose in life is there, guys? Like, this is just mind-blowing. Um, so in order to kind of dig into this deeper and kind of effectively build a foundation for talking about how we respond, which we will do throughout the weekend, um, Let's consider three biblical metaphors that kind of talk about, in more depth, our destiny. <clears throat> we have inheritance, enthronement, and marriage. And these are all in the handout. So in your packets, um, there is a handout for this session. And this is all outlined in the handout. So if you miss some of it tonight, feel free to grab it. and um, I actually encourage you to grab it and kind of camp out with it over the weekend. So, inheritance... Revelation 21.7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Romans 8.16-17, and 17, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It is easy for us to get behind the idea of Christ being the heir of all things of God's kingdom, right? He deserves it. He came. He suffered. He died. He deserves that. But these scriptures tell us that we also will inherit the all things of the divine kingdom that are coming to Christ. Logically, this does not make sense. We are a race of rebels and outlaws, and this is not what we deserve, right? But in light of God's extravagant grace, Sorry. Extravagant Grace. This makes perfect sense, right? We do ourselves a disservice when we lessen the all things to some things. And that is one of the things I invite you guys to really camp out on this weekend is consider prayerfully the all things included in your destiny. This is this is deep, guys. This this involves some some prayer. Alright, our enthronement. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Daniel 7.27 says, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is everlasting and dominions all the dominions shall serve and obey him. And then Jesus echoes this. So this is coming from Jesus. Seek the kingdom of God and do not fear. That should be do not fear. Because it is the Father's pleasure to give us the kingdom. Yeah. It's okay to feel astonished by this. Sovereign love in his grace has decided to grant redeemed humanity to sit on the throne of the entire known and unknown universe. You will sit on the throne after you overcome in the grace and the strength of Christ. You will sit on the throne. Of this world and all the other worlds that Hubble has not discovered yet by the way <laughs> we have eye has not seen nor ear has heard right? What, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for his children one of our church's founders put it this way the sacrifice of Christ was offered for the purpose of restoring man to his original perfection, yea more It was offered to give him an entire transformation of character, making him more than a conqueror. Those who, in the strength of Christ, overcome the great enemy of God and man will occupy a position in the heavenly courts above angels who have never fallen. That is um, from an Ellen White compilation. That's... I, I don't even have any more to say on that. Like, above angels who have never fallen. I invite you to spend some time this weekend praying over your enthronement, the promise of your enthronement. And now we come to the highest honor of all, marriage, right? The honor that makes um, the gifts of inheritance and enthronement pale in comparison. The Bible makes several references to humanity's destiny as the bride of the divine, right? But I love this one from Hosea. I've just been rereading Hosea in my worship time, and God's heart in that book is just, oh, like he's just bleeding for his people. Um, And he he makes a statement in Hosea 2, I will make you, he's talking to Israel, but we know that we are the... The type or the anti-type of Israel or spiritual Israel so I will make you my faithful my wife forever I will be honest and faithful to you I will show you my love and compassion I will be true to you my wife then you will know the Lord that is from God to you yeah Um, Ty Gibson clarifies the relationship of these three biblical metaphors in this book. He says God's intention to make us his eternal bride helps us make sense of our enthronement and the enormity of our inheritance. Remember the bride of a king is queen and by virtue of their matrimonial union all the wealth and authority of the kingdom belongs to her as well. Yet if she married for love All of this is nothing compared to the friendship of her husband, who also happens to be the king. Love, not wealth and authority, is what God's plan for us is all about. Humanity was brought into existence to become the bride of Christ. That is compelling. Love is calling us into a relationship more sacred, more monogamous, more intimate than any one of us in our fallen state can currently comprehend. I just invite you to, to just let these portraits soak into your soul this weekend. Um, go to the handout. There's a lot of the quotes are there, and you can revisit them. But don't somehow lessen or cheapen these gifts. His purposes towards us are not based on our own merit. They are based on his grace, right? His, his love, the purpose that he purposed in his heart towards us before he created us. Behold what manner of love. This is the foundation of our story, and it's also essential to keep in mind as we continue through the weekend. But let's set the stage a little more fully still. We know that we were apparently envisioned for an incredibly high place in the kingdom. But what about our choice to sin? How does that factor in? Does our choice as a race to step outside of this plan mean that he has to cancel it or lessen it or downplay it let's, let's deal with that in order to do this let's return to the scene of heaven before our creation when love first revealed the plan to create us this quote sets the, steam, the scene well ah, okay there we go um, before the fall of Lucifer the son of the morning the father consulted his son in regard to the formation of man they purposed to make this world and create beasts and living things upon it and to make man in the image of God to reign as a ruling monarch over every living thing which God should create. When Satan learned the purpose of God, when Lucifer learned the purpose of God, he was envious of Christ and jealous because the Father had not consulted him in regard to the creation of man. The envy and jealousy of Satan increased until his rebellion oh, sorry. Increased until his rebellion all heaven was in harmony and perfect subjection to the government of God, Satan commenced to insinuate his dissatisfied feelings to other angels, and a number agreed to aid him in his rebellion. Lucifer, the first created being brought into the light of love, had suffered attack from the darkest of possible forces: pride. Self-centeredness, unlove. Love named this dark force sin, and love warred against its existence in Lucifer as long as possible. We are told that God in his great mercy bore long with Lucifer. He was not immediately degraded from his exalted station, which, by the way, he was like the most exalted angel there was out there. Next to the Godhead, he was, you know, he was it. So he was not immediately down, degraded from his exalted station when he first indulged the spirit of discontent nor even when he began to present his false claims before the loyal angels. Long was he retained in heaven. Again and again he was offered pardon on condition of repentance and submission. Such efforts as only infinite love and wisdom could devise were made to convince him of his error. Yet Lucifer had been swallowed by the unlove. And at last love had no choice but to remove Lucifer from heaven. For where there is unlove, there cannot be trust. And where there isn't trust, relationship is never safe. And so love made a plan to meet this terrible emergency. We're going to fast forward now to a pristine garden, the most beautiful garden ever created. And humanity loves crowning creature, the one meant to share in the greatest level of relationship with himself we don't know how long our perfect parents enjoyed unmarred relationship with God but we do know the story how a lie shrouded in a truth broke the cord of trust between humanity and love and we certainly know the terrible results so let's take a closer look at that day um... one author this is from the he loves me book um, really poetically puts it um, puts it in context you will be like God the serpent promised them that morning as he enticed them to eat what God had forbidden what a devastating temptation one could want worse things than to be like God hadn't God already made them in his image wasn't it his desire to invite them into a relationship with himself that would make them like him Isn't the desire to be like God the highest ideal of the Christian life? Adam and Eve's sin was not what they wanted, but how they went about getting it. Would they trust God to make them like Him, or would they reach out and take it for themselves? Since that fateful day, we have been plagued by the same false perception of love, finding it easier to take what we need and want through our own efforts than trusting God to make good on his promises some might call this living less loved it's as if we have all become replicas of the prodigal son seeking our own kingdoms, our own pleasures even worthiness through our own efforts all the while allowing our circumstances and feelings to define our understanding of God instead of choosing to trust In the long run, it doesn't matter whether rebellion or relationship keeps us from a vibrant relationship with love. The result is still the same. God is cheated out of the relationship he wants, and we never come to know how he truly feels about us. So back to that day in the garden. Darkness, unlove, had seemingly triumphed, and the onlooking universe mourned as it watched the newest member of its family fall prey to the cancer, Of self-centeredness but a sense of hope rang in the air and we know we know what that's about right there was an Messiah coming love in action would take on a human body overcome the darkness and provide a way home which brings us back to where we began today with a dusty teacher a passionate preacher a tender healer, an empathetic friend, a humble servant, and an intensely suffering Savior. Divinity flashing through humanity. Amen. King Jesus. But, what about the Father? Is our restoration story the case of a hero stepping in between us and a vengeful God? No thank you, (laughs) did God the Father somehow need to take out His frustration and anger on us because we didn't obey Him? Heaven forbid we entertain that thought. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, sorry I have 5.19 here, that says 2.19, it's 5.19. Love, the Father, was literally in love the Son reconciling the world to Himself not counting our trespasses against us. I found that it's surprisingly easy for me in my fallen state to assign a motive to God's wrath that more accurately reflects my own anger, my selfish heart, than it does his. But if we really examine the cross and the gospel, we have to recognize that we are not the focus of God's anger where it's beneficiary. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is critical if we're going to understand our restoration process. Jesus wasn't just made guilty for our sins, but the very root of sin was placed in him. The dark, self-preferring, self-trusting nature put inside the eternally light, humble one. This is, this is just phenomenal, guys. God took sin into his very being through the Son. He literally took sin into himself so that he could overcome that which we are powerless to fight. He consumed sin. Romans 8.3 says that God did what the law could not do because of the weakness of man. He condemned sin in the flesh. The cross was not primarily about exacting punishment it was about demolishing sin's power there's another part to the cross story that at least makes me kind of scratch my skeptical head and say but wait didn't Jesus get abandoned on the cross that's certainly not something that love would do we say to ourselves but if we scan a few Bible... Well, so as we scan a few Bible verses, we can see that Jesus felt intensely alone, right? There are Psalms that talk about it. The Gospels talk about it. He was desperately alone. What was that about? For the first time in eternity, he could not sense that the Father was with him. Well, from what we just read in our this uh 2 Corinthians 5:21. We know that God was indeed in the Son, working to overcome the sin on the cross. They were God's wrath was warring against the power of darkness, right, and consuming it. But Jesus' perspective was clouded by the enormous darkness of sin. And this actually is illustrated tomorrow in our sermon uh, that my dad is going to preach. Um, a big black garbage bag is like sin over our over our hearts and minds, right? We can't see through it. And this is evidenced by, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But this, is, this was more an evidence of a tear being created for the first time ever in the divine community. Unity was obscured. But how the Father's heart must have burned for His Son. But this is key. This is where we kind of bring this practical element in. After this cry of desperation, Jesus offers us the greatest practical demonstration of trust in the history of the universe. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. To the Father he could not see, to fulfill a plan that had long since faded from view. In the utter despair and loneliness and agony of the cross, Jesus did what Adam and Eve could not do while living in the most pristine garden. He trusted love. In an act of historic restoration, sorry, heroic and historic restoration, the Godhead restored the trust that was shattered on that fateful day in Eden, and this is the practical power of the cross to change our lives. Understanding this peace opens the door for us to do what Adam and Eve could not do. Totally, fully, freely entrust our lives to love. So now we come to our choice. As is the character of love, it can only flourish by free choice, right? It can never be controlled, manipulated, or forced for such are the characteristics of unlove. And thus, by divine design, we are free to choose. And this is where our entire spiritual journey goes one direction or the other. We cannot make ourselves righteous. We know that, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of love. We cannot, by right behavior, make ourselves safe for our divine destiny because it lies so far outside of anything that we... um, understand our experience as fallen human beings at this point. But love gives us the dignity of choice. And this is where we'll tie off uh, our journey for tonight. Um, These Bible verses here kind of talk about the dignity of choice. What we get to do to engage in our restoration process. As long as you're in this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart. That means... Be courageous. Choose to, choose to trust. Choose joy. Choose the spirit-driven life and not your own kind of fleshy desires. Take heart. I have overcome the evil one. Or sorry, I have defeated the evil one and overcome the world. Jude 121. Keep yourself in the love of God as you look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys know, I'm sure, by experience, that if we are not intentionally swimming upstream, we are being pulled downstream, right? There's not a calm middle ground where we can just kind of float around. The dignity of choice asks us to keep ourselves in the love of God. I've loved you just as deeply as the Father has loved me. Hold on to my love. Fight! A good fight of faith hold on to the gift of eternal life these are action words guys it's not just a once saved always saved thing or a I mentally assent and God does the rest this is the daily abiding life this is the intentionality of faith this is being compelled by love allowing love to compel you love will not force the divine destiny on any one of us love will suffer long and entreat and draw but it will not force entrance into your heart or my heart if our hearts are too full or distracted to fully engage so as we close let's go back for the final time to that young preacher covered in the dust of travel on the grassy hillside remember we started out by mentioning the story of two builders. The one who built on the rock, and the one who built on the sand. So if we look at this analogy in light of everything we've just talked about, it seems that perhaps Jesus was trying to elevate his listeners' minds, and help them grasp the crucial difference between shifting sands of trusting in ourselves, and the solid rock of trusting in love. This the trust element again. What will we choose to trust? When we hear the story of the wise men who built his house on the rock, we typically conclude that the rock is Christ. But this begs the question. Have you ever processed what it means to build on Christ? Have you ever thought through that process? Building on Christ is a call to oneness, to relationship, to trust. To literally build our lives brick by brick by brick out of a stabilizing relationship with love that's the rock as we go through this weekend find time to ask yourself the question what am i building on are you building on the sands of your circumstances your comforts and conveniences your habits and preferences your own resources and abilities that one is me all the way your perceived limitations that's also me sometimes your right behavior what you're doing to earn your Christian experience your emotions your fears your past and it's merciless life lessons this one's hard to get away from or are you building on the rock of authentic relationship with that should be the God of love of intimate oneness with Christ. This is something that is available. Of utter dependence on His righteousness, not our own efforts and abilities. Of relentless reliance on the faith of Jesus. This is key. This isn't just faith in Jesus. This is appropriating by faith the faith of Christ. The the faith that Jesus manifested on the cross that caused Him to trust His Father and allow sin to be totally consumed in Him. This is... That one's key. Um, The solid rock of abiding in Christ and His truth about you. Not your own truth or what you think it is about you. The solid rock of allowing yourself to be fully known and fully loved by God. What are you building on? The choice is yours. The dignity of choice is yours. And it is essential to give this daily thought if you want your spiritual house to last. Those character traits that Jesus described in his Sermon on the Mount, which I invite you to go back and read. It's quite beautiful and inspiring, but also maybe a little bit overwhelming if we aren't building on the right foundation. The character traits are the building materials that will get swept away if we're being casual and negligent about the foundation upon which we build. If we don't choose to root and ground ourselves on the rock of authentic trusting relationship with love, anything else we try to do in our spiritual life will fail i mean anything this weekend we're going to cover a lot of content but i implore you get alone with love camp out on this story your story your divine destiny your heroic restoration your choice settle it between your own soul and love that you will respond to the dignity of choice And choose the rock of relationship. Do not settle for the shifting sands of anything less. Let's end with this thought. That's a beautiful thought. That's not what we're ending with. This thought. (laughs) When it comes to the Christian life, only one thing is required. That you come to Jesus. And that you keep coming to Him day by day. If you will keep coming to Him, love... Has made himself responsible for taking care of everything else that needs to happen in your life. If the eye is kept fixed on love, the work of love ceases not until the soul is conformed to His image. Amen. Until the soul is restored to your divinely designed destiny. Let's pray. Lord. Um, this was a lot of content and a lot of of story. Lord, your story is so big and hard for us to understand and truly grasp and believe. But Father, we are your children. We are the work of your hands. We are your bride. And we've come together this weekend for a weekend of fellowship and fun. But we've also come to worship, Lord, and to be spurred on to love and good works. And so I just pray that your spirit would be moving upon each of us in the ways that you know we individually and particularly need, that we would leave changed, Lord, that we would choose the foundation of relationship with you, that we would be compelled by love to ask for more, to say, you know what, no more business as usual. I am almost home. Lord, we praise you and we look forward to that blessed day. Amen. Amen.